Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Last time we saw how um, as others were selling their property and, and uh, take, bringing the value of it, and it said that they were laying it at the apostles' feet, um, we saw Ananias and Sapphira chose to, they, they sold some property, and they gave some of it, but they, they lied about the value of it. So they, they presented it as if they were, they were giving the full value, but they kept some of it back for themselves, and, and we saw the, um, the uh, severe results there as both of them died as a, as a result of that. And uh, if you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 11, uh, after that event, it says that great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And so this wasn't something that was just known among the believers. It was something that, you know, other people heard about. And, um, and you see there it says that the fear came upon the church, but also upon uh, others who heard these things. Verse 12, it says, By the hands of the apostles uh, were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. And, and you see these miracles that characterized the, these early chapters of the book of Acts. Now, this was exactly what Christ had said would happen. He, in uh, Mark chapter 16, for instance, he had told them about the signs that were going to follow them that believed that they were going to lay hands on the sick and they would recover, um, that they would do things like cast out devils. Um, even Christ told them that they would be able to raise the dead. And here, as you see, the, the uh, preaching of the word going forth in these early chapters in the book of Acts, you see the, the exact fulfillment of what Christ had told them would happen. You see those miracles following them that believe. And, and you see that the, uh, the miracles in, in some cases, in some cases the miracles are, you know, serving to, to draw together a crowd of people. When Peter and John heal the, the man there in the temple, it, it draws together people that then they have added opportunity to, to preach the word of God. Uh, here with, with Ananias and Sapphira, you see there's a little bit of the opposite effect. Uh, as word gets out around this, even, even despite other signs and wonders that are taking place, you see it says uh, in verse 13 that of the rest, durst no man join himself to them. And with these, with these uh, uh, just miraculous displays of power here, 
as well as with the preaching of the Word of God, you see a twofold effect. You see with the, among the believers, it draws them closer together. With the unbelievers, it tends to, to you know, push them away. Now, that's not to say that there aren't unbelievers that are coming and, and believing what's being said, but, but you see the results of it here. Uh, notice it says that they were all, in verse 12, that they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now, what it's describing there, um, to, to call it a porch maybe doesn't convey the, the, uh, the right idea. The, the temple at Jerusalem, you know, the temple was originally built by Solomon, right? And um, over the years, there were times where it was partially destroyed and then had to be rebuilt. And uh, at, at the time that we're looking at here, King Herod had done all kinds of new building on the temple. You know, the, the temple itself was a, I mean, a, a pretty amazing building uh, in the sense of the gold and things that it contained. But as far as its size, really, it, it didn't it didn't necessarily compare to a lot of the pagan temples that had been built. And uh, uh, King Herod, here at, the, uh, at, at this time, he had decided that the temple at Jerusalem needed some improvements. And so he made all kinds of additions onto it. And one of the things he added onto it was this, this porch or this portico at the, the uh, front of the temple that was this this huge um, entryway there into the temple, and uh, it was called Solomon's Porch. All right, and this is where that they're meeting. Now you see that these these uh, believers here still in these early chapters of the Book of Acts. There's nothing going on here that's separate from the temple. That's separate from from Judaism. Uh, really what's, what's happening here is you're having the fulfillment of Judaism. And here they're continuing to proclaim that, that uh, Jewish Messiah. And so the, the natural place for them to meet would be there at the temple, especially for these saints here at, at Jerusalem. And so they go there to the temple and that, it says, that's where they're with one accord. Uh, they're in Solomon's porch. And, and as these you know, as these miracles are taking place, these signs and, and wonders, um, as people are being healed and, and that kind of thing, it says that the people magnified them. And it talks about how, how believers were added to the Lord in, in verse 14. Multitudes, it says, of men and women. Now we've seen, it doesn't give us specific numbers here, but we saw on the day of Pentecost, it mentioned 3,000. On, on, uh, back in, uh, chapter four, I think it was, I think it mentioned 5,000. All right. And so you have thousands of people here in just a short period of time that are coming to, to believe on the Lord. Um, in, in verse 15 now, um, it's again describing the miracles that are being done. And word is, is getting around about this. And much like in Jesus' early ministry, as he would do miracles, these multitudes would come together. It doesn't mean that everybody in the multitude was a believer. All right? The, many people were there just, just kind of to see what was going to happen. 
But as word gets around about these miracles, you see in verse 15, it says, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. You see, these people, as they see these miracles, as they see these healings, um, they're, they're willing even to just kind of lay people along the street so that if Peter walks by, his shadow will, will uh, go over them. And, and apparently they have expectation that even that uh, could, could bring about a healing. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, he told those 12 disciples that they were going to do greater works than what he had done. You know, and so you see all the great miracles that Jesus did. He told the disciples they were going to do even greater things. And you see just these multitudes there being drawn to the disciples. Um, you know, some, some truly out of belief, some just uh, wishing to see a miracle. But you see how it says that the, the multitudes, the people there are, are um, magnifying them. Uh, verse 16 says, There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. And so it's not just the city of Jerusalem itself, but you have these cities that are outside of Jerusalem. You have these cities like Bethany and, and Bethlehem and, and these cities all around Jerusalem. And they're, they're coming there into the city to see people healed by the disciples. There's a work going on here that cannot be denied, right? Now, you, it, of course, if you're, you're familiar with these things, you may be able to predict what the, what the uh, attitude of the priests and the religious leaders would be. Because this becomes a, this becomes a threat to them and their power, just like the Lord Jesus Christ before them was a threat to their power. Here, as these people are thronging together to these disciples, uh, the, the priests begin to get worried about what the effects of this are going to be. And so you see in verse 17, it says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is a, the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning, and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison, to have them brought. Now, remember, they've already told Peter and John. Peter and John have already been there in the temple preaching the word of God. They commanded them not to preach in that name. And, and uh, you know, here they are again. They're uh, preaching. And so the high priest here rises up. And, and the high priest at this time was a part of the sect of the Sadducees. Remember, you had these two major sects uh, there in Israel, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And both of them were criticized by 
Christ, and both of them were um, uh, opponents here of what was going on with these disciples. The Pharisees tended to be the more the more um, fundamental, the more conservative. They uh, believed the Bible more literally than what what uh, the other sects did. The Sadducees tended to be, um, you know, much more much more religiously liberal. Uh, they didn't believe many of the things in the Bible. They didn't believe in a physical resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe a lot of the things that the, the Bible talked about. And there was always, you know, a lot of tension between those groups. It's the same kind of, of uh, conflict that you see sometimes today between different different uh, religious denominations, and in fact, in almost every mainstream denomination out there that, that uh, you know, claims to Christianity, there will be a liberal branch of it, and there will be a conservative branch of it, right? And, and here with the Pharisees and Sadducees, you have this, this uh, contrast between these religious conservatives and religious liberals, and here at this time, the high priest was of that sect of the Sadducees. And, and you see, it says they're filled with indignation. And so they go and they take the apostles and they put them in prison. But you see, the word of God uh, is not bound. There, there's always, you know, this, this uh, threat, you know, it's, it's not a, an uncommon threat even... Here in our country today, we, you know, sometimes we like to think that persecution doesn't happen here today. But, you know, understand that there have been people, uh, certainly many in, in recent years, that have been put in jail for, for preaching the word of God. Right? Here, they take these disciples, they put them in the common prison, and, you know, that never, that never binds the Lord. Now, in this case, the Lord miraculously lets them out of the prison. In, in other cases, he doesn't. Later on with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul isn't, isn't uh, miraculously let out of prison. The, the, the one time when he's in prison and the doors, there's an earthquake and the door is open, he convinces everybody, all the prisoners, to stay there. right? But, but in this case, the Lord sends an angel, and the angel of the Lord comes uh, by night. He opens up the prison doors and tells them to go out of the prison. And they go right back to the temple, right back to to uh, where they were, you know, where they were arrested, and they go there and they preach again. You can imagine the frustration of these religious leaders. Now they, you know, they brought them before them once and told them not to preach in the name of Jesus. They didn't stop doing that. Now they put them in prison and. The next day, the religious leaders get up, and they're not in the prison. They're there, they're there preaching again. Um, you see just the, that, uh, that persistence on the part of, of these apostles. And so you see, it, it says the, he, uh, the angel brought them forth. He told them to, to go back and to, um, to speak all the words of this life. And you see in verse 21, they're right back there in the temple. They're there early in the morning. And now the high priest, instead of just, just throwing them into prison, now the high priest calls together 
the council. He calls together the religious leaders. He calls together the, the political leaders there of Israel and brings them before them. Um, verse 22, it says, When the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors, but when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. See, they come, they come together in the morning there to have the trial, and the accused aren't even in the prison, right? And... and uh, of course, they find them there in, in the temple. Verse 25, it says, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, notice in, in all of what's going on here, certainly the miracles and things are, are the things that would have grabbed the attention of the public at large. But realize that the apostles are always putting the emphasis on the preaching of the word of God. Right, The miracles follow with that, but they're putting the emphasis on the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, oftentimes today, there's, there's kind of a, a strategy that many people take toward ministry where the idea is we're going to do these great social works, and that's going to you know, draw, draw people to us, and then we can, we can impress them with our social works, and then we can use that to preach the Word of God to them. Now, it's certainly true, the Bible says, that the believers ought to do good unto all men, especially to those of the household of faith, right? That's certainly true. But, but understand, those things are to be a result of the preaching of the Word of God, not, not something to, um, you know, to, to emphasize in themselves. And the reality is that when people set out with that, with that strategy in mind, the fact is, a lot of times, they never get to the part where they actually preach the Word of God. They get so busy doing the different social works. There are, are uh, missions organizations, for instance, that are completely based around building hospitals and, and that kind of thing. And certainly they do some temporal good in the, in the places where they go, right? But, but these people, you know, they're treating the body and, and the people never get the gospel. They never hear what they need to give them eternal life. And the, the reality is that when you put the emphasis on the, on the Word of God, those other things will follow with it. But when you put the emphasis on, on the works and things, if, if these disciples here were to have suddenly taken the focus off of the preaching of the Word of God and, and put it just on the miracles, you know, maybe, maybe some miracles would have continued for a time, but the reality is that, that you know, the, the real ministry that needed to be done would not have been done. And, and you see where they're putting the emphasis. By the way, notice that the religious leaders are not upset with them for the miracles that they're doing. Remember, when they, when they heal the man in the temple, the religious leaders don't say, stop doing miracles. They just say, stop 
preaching in the name of Jesus. You, you can keep doing all the miracles you want, just stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Here, what these religious leaders are concerned about is not that they're doing miracles, it's that they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine, right? And, and so, you know, we, oftentimes, again, when you see this, this kind of social gospel and this idea of, of putting the emphasis on social works to be done, um, it, it can, you know, a, a missions organization, a ministry organization, uh, they can get into some places where they may not be able to otherwise. Some countries, like, like in India, for instance, um, India for a long time was completely closed to Christian mis- missionaries. Now they're somewhat open to Christian missionaries, but you have, in order to, to, you know, establish a missionary presence in India, you have to do social work. Right? So, so the government of India is using that. They know there's this desire on the part of Christians to, to uh, come in there as missionaries. And so they're using that and, and saying, okay, you can come in as long as you build hospitals, as long as you care for orphans, as long as you do these various things. And they use that as a way to subsidize, uh, social work there in their, in their country. Um, the, you know, the, the persecutors of Christianity never have a problem with the, the results of Christian teaching. It's the teaching of the Bible itself that they hate and they despise, right? So you can go in and do all kinds of good works, but if, if you're doing those good works, but you're not preaching the word of God, uh, what good is it? And here you see with the disciples, you see that emphasis on the word of God. And, and you see what the religious leaders are upset with them about. It's that they're teaching in that name. They're upset here about the, the affront to their authority. Um, you know, they ask that question, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? It, it's as if, uh, you know, we, we told you you shouldn't do this. That, that settles it. Why are you still doing this thing that we told you not to do? See, they weren't used to people disobeying them. They weren't used to, to somebody, to them giving somebody a direct command and them going out and doing something different. But here are the disciples. You see how they, they had said even previously. I mean, they had almost announced their intentions to continue preaching in the name of Jesus, that they were going to obey God and not men, right? But here the, uh, the, the religious leaders are upset that they have not followed that authority. And, and again, that they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. And it's interesting that they say that, that they intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, this is, this is just a, you know, fairly short period of time after the crucifixion of Christ. These religious leaders that are here, uh, convicting these disciples are the same ones that convince the people to say crucify him and remember what what they got the crowd to say and what what they said to uh to Pilate they said that his blood let his blood be upon our heads and they said the heads of our children do you remember that back back when they were calling for Christ's crucifixion they called for Christ's blood to be on their heads but now as the disciples are going out and they're preaching that that uh, 
you know, that the, the nation of Israel had killed their Messiah under the leadership of, of these leaders here, and, and that he's, you know, he's not dead, but he's risen from the dead. You see here what the, what the uh, religious leaders are worried about. They're accusing us for the death of Christ when they themselves called for his blood to be upon them. Right? Isn't that an interesting thing? Uh, it, it demonstrates some things about human nature uh, when you think about it. You know, they, they're, they're certainly willing in order to get what they want in getting rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were willing to say, yep, we'll, we'll take all the blame for it. We'll take all the responsibility for it. But now when there's some people that are actually saying there's some consequences for that, now they don't want to be held responsible. We, we didn't do it. It wasn't us. Right? They're, they're trying to accuse us for, for uh, killing the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they don't want that blood to be upon them. And, of course, we, you know, we do the same thing uh, when, when faced with the consequences of our sin. But uh, here, here again you see that uh, they're upset about what they perceive as an intent to hold them accountable for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Verse 29 Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now he's answering the question, really, about them. They asked, didn't we we, uh, charge you not to teach in this name? And Peter says, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree, Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. And and, uh, here again, you know, Peter, Peter and the rest of the apostles... Uh, they're very they're very honest about what their intentions are. They are not going to obey any command from from these authorities to stop preaching in the name of Jesus because they know that what they're doing is in obedience to God. And understand that when it comes to authority, the Bible calls on on believers to be subject to those that are in authority, and and you know to respect that authority when it is used properly. But understand that with any kind of authority, there are different levels of authority, right? And when two different different levels of authority come into conflict, you obey the higher authority, not the lower authority, right? That's, in fact, go over to Romans chapter 13. We'll look at it there. Um, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, right? And so there's, there's higher powers, there's lower powers. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You see, it describes there how every power, every authority is ordained of God. It says the powers that be are ordained of God, right? And God has set up different different authorities. Uh, these these religious leaders here and, and political leaders at Jerusalem, they have some legitimate authority from God. But nothing in, the, in this passage of Scripture should be taken to convey that, that uh, in any way human authority can trump God's authority. Right? Just like within different human authorities, you're going to have different levels of authority and you obey the higher rank, not the lower rank. Uh, if you have a command from God to go and do something and some man tells you not to do it, you do what God said. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.